0: Children's Church. Everyone else, if you would, please take out your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 is where we'll be today as we are continuing our walk through the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Here in Acts chapter 5, we're going to continue on this story, this event, continue to see the apostles of Christ, as they are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and what it is that comes upon them, as we've already seen, they've faced persecution already up to this point. They have been confronted by the Jewish leaders of their day, by the uh, the leaders of the temple, by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and uh, we see this week uh, an an even uh, further display of the persecution that was. Surely to come for the early church that they were promised by Christ himself. We see now kind of the next phase of that here in Acts chapter 5. We're going to be looking today in verses 17 through verse 26. Acts chapter 5, 17 through 26. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Luke writes this. But the high priest arose... Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. The captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we come now to your word and ask God, that you would humble us before your word. I ask, Lord, that as I preach today, that you would guide my words, that you would guide my thoughts, you would guide my, my actions and my intentions today, Lord, that I know full well my limitations, I know full well my shortcomings, and so I stand here today, Lord, as uh, as a, a vessel hoping to be used by day, by you today as uh, an instrument in your hands, Lord. I pray that uh, that the words that I have here today, Lord, would be filled with truth as they are, uh, Lord, an attempt to expound upon the words of Scripture. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us, as we approach your word, would do so humbly, would do so ready and prepared to be taught and instructed by your word. And Lord, even if that means being challenged on what we think or what we know or what we understand, or Lord, even being challenged on our own pride, I pray, Lord, that we would be open to that, that you would make us open to that by your Holy Spirit today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we have seen so far in the book of Acts, we now come to this next portion, this next phase of persecution, you might say. We have seen over the past few weeks in Acts all these amazing things happening in the church. What we see is that just a couple chapters earlier, kind of the events that led up to where we are now over the past chapter and a half to two chapters we have seen kind of what happened in between the last time that the apostles were arrested, that they were brought in, uh, Peter and John, after the, the healing of this man who was lame from birth. And, and they are brought in and they are questioned and they are, uh, are told sternly, right, not to preach the name of Jesus any longer, to cease what they are doing, to cease and desist in this act of preaching Christ to the people. And as we know, what followed was the apostles' only response to that, and they went out and preached all the more. And as they faced persecution square in the face, the believers prayed for boldness, as we saw in the last chapter. And then what we saw in just our previous section last week, we saw that as the believers were doing this, and even as persecution was imminent and was, it was on the forefront, the believers, as they prayed for boldness, were granted such boldness. And not only that, we see signs and wonders and miracles and all sorts of things being done by the Holy Spirit as the apostles and as the early church are proclaiming the name of Christ as people from all the surrounding towns are coming and and hearing the gospel and being healed. And many of them are believing and coming to faith in Christ. And here now we have this instance where the high priest realizes that something needs to be done. He sees the blatant disobedience of the church and of the apostles to the command that they had been given, and he is furious. And so he, along with all the Sadducees, move into the next phase of the documented persecution here in Acts. For those of you who have spent much time around little kids, uh, you might know something that I have found to be true, and that is when young children get mad, whether they're fighting over a toy, I know that's common in my house. in many cases, you can kind of see the anger sort of starting and then growing and like moving through phases of of anger and action where where for example when when my boys are are wanting the same toy, and Elijah kind of maybe takes a toy from Nathan or refuses to give him a toy you can you can see a, Nathan's initial reaction is is ugh, ugh it's it's kind of frustration, it's shock, it's disgust with the situation. And then if it persists and he's unable to obtain this toy or this item that he wants, you can see physically the anger move from a sort of shock and disgust to a an, an almost a vibrating rage that that moves throughout his body and 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 kind of it seems like there's a connection between in his brain between like what I ought to do and, and what my body is just making me do. And sometimes, like, he can come to and catch himself, right? But then other times, like, his body just takes over and here comes the smack, right? Lays it down on his brother. And you can kind of see in children, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. They just are, are open books in so many ways. You can see the sort of anger and hostility, like, take form and then blossom into violence, right? Right? You can see the process as it's happening so often when it comes to children, and, and even sometimes in adults, you can see this same process happening. It might look a little bit different, and certainly some people are better at hiding it, but you can kind of, even with adults, you can see and understand this, this building up of, of anger, of frustration, and how it then moves into, into action. There's this sort of progression that if something is not done, if there is no intercession, then then violence could very well come of this situation. What we see here in Acts is we see something very similar with the Pharisees, with the Sadducees, with the Jewish leaders. We sort of see their anger starting, and we really see this anger starting with Christ, right? But, but here in Acts and as the early churches doing what Christ has commanded they do as they are proclaiming the gospel as people are coming to faith in Christ, we, we see sort of these snapshots of, The Jewish leaders and how they go from being sort of shocked, appalled, frustrated to even, man, I have to do something about this. I'm, I'm getting more and more angry to the point where we know, we know as readers of the Word of God that something worse is coming. That if no intercession is made, if no one steps in, that that if the believers continue to persist as they are, and if the Pharisees continue to persist as they are, that this is going to come to violence. We have here, I think, in this section of Acts, a sort of middle snapshot. A snapshot of, hey, this, this is escalating. And we can see it escalating before our very eyes. And so today, can you give me some batteries? Robert? And so today, we come and we look in. All right. Thank you so much for your patience. I appreciate that. Here we come now to this situation. We see this snapshot. These Jewish leaders, these religious leaders here in Acts were so angry, so bothered by what the disciples were doing, by the message that they were proclaiming, by the fact that they were teaching Christ and Him crucified, that they now move and, and have them arrested and thrown in jail. Not only John and Peter... But all of the apostles, they round them up and they take them and they throw them into jail. This was an attempt on the part of of these leaders to stop the spread of the gospel, to suppress the name of Jesus. I said this a few weeks ago, but it is still true. I think that it's easy, in a sense, to see why the Pharisees, why the religious leaders, why the head of the temple and the temple leaders are angry. It's kind of easy to see why they're angry, why they're mad, because They had gone to such great lengths to try and kill Jesus. And indeed, they had him put to death, expecting that this would kill the movement, that with this, Jesus' followers would disperse, that their issue would be resolved, and that all of this would be over and go back to normal the way they liked it. And yet, here now, we still see Jesus' name. Not only do we see Jesus' name being proclaimed, but it is everywhere now. People are coming from other towns into Jerusalem, hearing the name of Christ being proclaimed, seeing healing and wonders being done in His name. Their problem has only gotten worse. And and what is the, the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. What do we see from the... Pharisees, from the Jewish leaders here, again they think, we have the solution to the problem. Let us arrest these men. Let us get them out of here. If we can just shut them up, then our problem will be ceased. And as we know, that is never going to be the case because you can never, never stop the gospel from spreading. One of the first things that jumps out, I think, at me on this passage is the contrast that we see between God's people and between the world. In this case, I'm using the word world to describe these religious leaders, for they indeed are lost, they are separated from Christ, they are indeed enemies of God here as we see. We already see the blindness of unbelief on display and the fact that these leaders hate the apostles and are out to get them, out to persecute them, even though the very power of God is being displayed through their ministry in miraculous ways. As we just read in the previous section, that many signs and wonders were being done. People were being brought in, even hoping that Peter's shadow would pass over them so that they might be healed. It is in the opposition to this that the Jewish leaders now stand. In opposition to all these signs and wonders and amazing things Being done, we see in this a picture, a demonstration of the very blindness and hardness of heart that sin causes. And we see at the very beginning of the text the high priests rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They were filled with jealousy of the apostles. This is an amazing statement and a bit of clarity into what the issue is here at the heart, at the, at the root of what was going on in the heart of the Pharisees, and the heart of these Jewish leaders and the chief priests. They were jealous. They were jealous of these signs and wonders and the powers being done by the apostles. They were jealous of the attention that they were getting, of the recognition that they were getting. Because the more recognition they get, the more power that they have in the eyes of the people the less power the Jewish leaders have, the less power the high priest has. We see here the the jealousy of these Jewish leaders on display. We see the difference between these Jewish leaders as they are filled with jealousy and these Christian believers as they are filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a deep and stark contrast between the two. We have these... Believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit and are, are seeking no power for themselves, are not looking for trouble, are nonviolent, are simply going out and proclaiming the name of Christ to those who would listen. And then you see these Jewish leaders, these Sadducees, as they are filled with jealousy that cannot take it, that power seems to be being stripped away from them. Beyond just their jealousy, we see something called the fear of man driving and and sort of guiding these Sadducees. And verse 26 is the very last verse in our text today. The captain and the officers went and brought them, but not by force. Why not by force? Because they were afraid of being stoned by the people. They were afraid of what the people might think. Isn't this revealing as to where their hearts truly are? You know, these these men have, these Jewish leaders have a sense of zeal. In fact, the word jealousy here here could be translated as zeal and is in some translations. If you remember the Apostle Paul, when he writes in in Romans chapter 10, he's speaking of the Jews and he says they have a zeal for God, though not according to knowledge. We see here that these Jewish leaders, they have a zeal. They have a, a passion, but It is not truly for the things of God. Their zeal, their desires, their passions are not driven by what can I do to bring glory to God, but what can I do to bring glory to us, to ourselves. And when anything risks that glory, risks that reputation, or certainly risks my life being taken, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And so though they... They were pretty bold in going arrest and arresting the disciples. When this angel mirac- miraculously releases them from the prison and they go back to preaching, what do the Sadducees resort to? They say, um, "Could you please come? Could you please come back? Right? Could you please come back into our custody?" They react this way because of their fear, because of their fear of man, of what the people might think and what the people might do. This is very different from the apostles who, as they were literally facing persecution, as they are literally being hated and attacked by the Jewish leaders, continued to persist in what God had commanded them to do. Why? Because they were not concerned with their own glory. They were not concerned with their own reputations. They could have cared less what the people were going to do or think. They had been given a task, a mission by God through Jesus Christ and equipped by the Holy Spirit so that nothing was going to get in their way, not even men. They were living out what Jesus had told them in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, when he said, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What we see in Christ's people is a contentment, a joy, a mercy, a kindness. In short, what we see in Christ's people as compared to, to the world is we see that they are filled with the Holy Spirit and therefore produce produce the fruit of the Spirit. What these scribes, these Pharisees, these Sadducees desired most was power and control. They were corrupt and their corruption was evident to all. Even Jesus called them out for their corruption, for their wickedness. In Matthew 23, Jesus delivers a lengthy dialogue directed to the scribes and Pharisees. And has some severe words for them. And when you look at those instances where he spoke to the Jewish leaders, you realize that, that these men, these leaders, had ample opportunity to repent. As Jesus openly and directly confronted their sin, confronted their wickedness, confronted what the issue was with these men, they had opportunity to repent. Repent. And yet they hardened their hearts. And here again we see these same people have yet another opportunity to repent in the face of even more signs and wonders being done. And even with a miraculous rescue of these apostles, that after they had locked them in prison, miraculously they were brought out of prison and back in the temple preaching again. Even with all of this, they were blind and obstinate in their rejection of the Messiah. So they continue to seek and to suppress the message of Christ. The next thing we see in verses 17 through the first part of verse 21, we see God's commitment to his mission. What is the mission of God? It's easy to stand up here and say, God is committed to his mission, but we have to ask the question, what is the mission of God? And this is a a question that's been summed up in, in many ways, but I think that, A pretty accurate summation of the mission of God is that the mission of God is to bring life. And I say this largely on the basis of what the angel tells the apostles to do here in verse 20. He says, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. You notice life there is in all caps not all caps, it it, it has a capital word. This is a specific message that he is telling them to go and proclaim. He is not telling them go and and explain good morals to these people. He's not telling them go and and encourage them with, with kind and soft teaching. He says go and explain to them the words of life. All the words of life. You see, the message of the gospel is a message of life the central focus of the gospel message as we see in the preaching here in acts is the facts that is the fact that this guy jesus died and is now alive and will be alive forevermore it is a message of life over death and it's a good message it's a worthwhile message it is a message that says jesus died And he's now alive, and we can have that same eternal life in him. It's good news. Life is what the world desperately needs, even though they don't realize it. Even though they don't realize it. Have you ever had a gospel conversation with someone, and you try desperately to explain to someone what it is that we actually are presenting? Why it is that they actually need the gospel? And so often their reaction is, well, that's that's so nice. That's that's a sweet message. And it, if it's good for you, then that's fine. But it's just it's just not for me. And how often we want to we want to just smack them and say it is for you. It's for everyone. Don't you understand? There's only one alternative. It's either life or it is death. What I am proposing to you is that life is available for you, and it's available in Jesus Christ, and you. Need it. I think part of the problem, perhaps, is is that we fail to make this clear. We fail to make it clear to the world around us that what we are proposing is not just good morals. What we are proposing is not just a club that we can be a part of and, and have something to do on Sunday mornings. What we are proposing is that each and every person that lives in this world is under the curse of death. Each and every one of them. And that in Jesus Christ, as we look to him having been killed on the cross, taking God's wrath for us and now being risen from the grave, the promise is for us that we can have life and have it eternal. So that we can say, oh death, where is your sting? Oh death, where is your victory? It is the message of life that these apostles proclaim to the world and that we now have the task of proclaiming to the world there's great joy and confidence in knowing that when we commit ourselves to the mission of god to proclaiming the message of life to the world that so desperately needs it we can know that we are committed to a winning cause this is good news for us that being committed to the mission of god is not a gamble it's not a gamble of whether or not we have, have hooked ourselves up to the right horse. It is a sure thing that the mission will be accomplished. Why? Because God is committed to this mission. And we see that illustrated even in our text today in these events. We see God's willingness to overcome barriers to the spreading of the gospel and the giving of life. You see, the, the Jewish leaders did everything they could. To try and put this message to bed, to try and silence it. Even they took the apostles, the core of the church, the writers of the New Testament, at least most of the New Testament, and they locked them away in jail. They thought, let's put them in here, let's contain them, let's keep them quiet. And how far did that get them in stopping the mission of God? Not far at all. In fact, instantly God was like, all right, you're freed. This is like, I think what the kids today would call a low-key flex by God, right? Where where the Sadducees, they take the apostles and they they come up with this great idea, we're going to lock them in prison. Ha, 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 now they're stuck. And God's like, that's cute. (laughs) Look at those little locks and gates. And, And boom, they're freed. We don't know how. The gates were still locked. The doors were shut. The guards were even still there. And yet these prisoners were found in the temple preaching. This was a, a flex on God's part that he so easily demonstrated his power and his commitment to his mission, the mission that nothing is going to stop it. There was this video I saw one time of a, of a similar kind of flex. There was a video of these people who were on this safari out in, in the jungle and they're observing this group of gorillas and there's these big old silverback gorillas and these things are just absolutely massive of all like all the creatures in the world I would never want to cross. I think a silverback gorilla is probably like number one on my list, right? And you come to that conclusion when you see videos like this where where these people are kind of standing back, they're trying to be still, and these gorillas all of a sudden walk over and begin to walk past them. And this silverback gorilla, for seemingly no reason other than just to demonstrate he can, grabs this full-grown man by the leg and just drags him through the jungle for like 20 feet. Crazy crazy thing that this gorilla did effortlessly is just dragging this full-grown man like it's nothing kind of saying yeah i could do whatever i wanted with you right now right god and is demonstrating here that he has, that he has miraculously released his apostles from prison so effortlessly so easily he's demonstrating there is nothing that you could possibly do that could stop the mission that i have put these apostles on There is nothing that can undo the mission of God. And it was kind of humiliating for the Sadducees, right? I mean, they put them in public prison. It was no secret that the apostles had been locked up. And then, lo and behold, here they are the very next morning out preaching again in the temple. The Pharisees are like, oh, man, how did this happen? How did they get out? This is humiliating. Don't go and arrest them again. People are going to think we're so stupid. Just go and ask them, could you please come back with us? which certainly is at least a better approach when you're dealing with the people of God who are on mission for God. The thing is, there are no barriers to the mission of God that he is not able to overcome. Even human hearts can provide no barrier to the mission of God. You know, this is what some people think. They think that, that God can overcome so much in order to save people for himself, in order to accomplish his purposes, in order to accomplish his mission, and so, so many people put great stock in human hearts that, that the Lord can't overcome our heart. He can't overcome our will. We have, to, we have to turn to him by our own will, by our own volition. That unless people choose God, they can never be saved. But here's the reality, church family. Even the wicked, hard human heart, a human heart exactly like the Sadducees, exactly like these religious leaders that left to themselves will gladly reject all the miraculous, all the signs and wonders that could possibly be performed, even reject Christ having been risen from the grave and still say, I don't want any part of it. I don't believe it. Get rid of it. This is a hard heart that like all human hearts is set against God The good news is, church family, that the Holy Spirit is able to change even the hardest of hearts. That even hard hearts are no barrier to the gospel. So let me encourage you with this as as an aside, as a side note. Whoever the person is that maybe you have in your mind right now that you think, I would love, love to see this person, this friend, this family member come to faith in Christ. But they are just so hard hearted. Let me encourage you with this. No barrier can stand between the work of God and his mission. If God chooses to save, then no hardness of heart could ever undo that, could ever provide a strong enough barrier against his will. Some people find it to be an abrasive or or frustrating or bad doctrine that God can overcome the will of man in order to save. But let me encourage you, church family, it is a necessary doctrine. For the will of man is sinful, it is broken, it is corrupt, and it will never turn to God on its own. But thanks be to him that he has chosen to save sinners, to turn our will away from ourselves and onto him. Pray that he will do so for your family members, for your friends. Pray that he will, as he did for you, give them a desire to know him. How many of us in here can take credit for our desire to know christ none of us can you think back to the very first moment when you understood the gospel when you understood that you were a sinner that you were in need of salvation and that in christ that salvation that life is found do you take credit for that was it you that directed your mind in that way absolutely not It was the work of the Holy Spirit alone to overcome that barrier in your life. And listen, church family, there is no barrier that he cannot overcome, whether it be locked prison doors or whether it be a hard heart. It is the privilege of Christians now to get to be used by God for this task, for the mission of God, so that we can trust that when we are on mission for God, We are on the winning side. That whatever work we do for his sake, it is not in vain, no matter how much it feels like it here and now. For Christ is committed to his mission. And then the final thing that I want us to to note from this text is when God doesn't release us from jail. What then? It might be tempting for us to to read a, a passage like this and think, well, God is going to rescue us from all of our persecution, from all of our suffering. God is not going to to let us suffer in prison. He's going to free us from it. Whatever kind of suffering we're facing in this life, God is going to free us from that suffering in this life. We sometimes think when we read a passage like this, we can be tricked, we can be deceived into thinking that this demonstrates that it is always God's will for us to be out of suffering in this life. And church family, that's simply not the case. That is a lie. There's a, a, a movie, and, and I'm not anti-Christian movie. Uh, I know that there are some people who, who just have very little good to say about it. I think there's value in movies that are made by Christians. Uh, there was one movie that came out a few years ago. It's called War Room. And the message of, of War Room was a good message. It was a message of, of prayer and of the power of prayer and the importance of prayer uh, and the role that it plays in the life of a believer. And it was a It was a valuable movie in that way. But the one thing about the movie that I've always hated, that I cannot stand, and often this is the case with these kinds of Christian movies, is that what happens in the end? There was a guy who, spoiler, who was dealing drugs. He was stealing from his company, his drug company, stealing his drugs and and selling them for a profit. Deeply illegal stuff. And what happens when he... He comes to faith in Christ and we praise God for that. And he goes to his boss and he confesses his sin to his boss and praise God for that. But what bothers me is that in these movies, what is so often portrayed as it was in this movie is, man, things turned out okay. Didn't have to go to jail for dealing drugs. I kind of got off the hook. The message can easily become when you come to faith in Christ, when you trust in him, when you pray the way you ought things will work out for you in this life. Church family, that's not the case. I remember watching that movie and going, send him to jail. That's what he deserves, and that's reality. The reality is coming to faith in Christ doesn't free us from suffering in this life, certainly when we deserve to be punished. But even as believers, we know that Christ has told us if we choose to follow him, if we commit ourselves to his mission, We will suffer. In fact, a full understanding of Scripture and a full biblical theology will help us to realize this, that though Christ does miraculously move in certain ways and at certain times, and this is not the only time He has freed His people from prison. Multiple times throughout the book of Acts, this happens. But you want to know what else happens in Acts? In fact, just a couple chapters from now, we're going to see one Stephen be stoned to death for proclaiming the gospel. And we see a great amount of that, not only in the scriptures, but throughout church history. We read this passage and we find in this passage hope. Hope that God will accomplish his mission no matter what. Hope that God will not forsake his people or forget about them. But what we should not understand this passage to be teaching us is that God will always remove us from suffering, because indeed, church family, he won't. In many cases, he does not remove us from suffering, but leaves us there. But what is it that he does in the meantime? Does our being left in, in the prison of suffering mean that he has been, he has forgotten us, that we are no longer his? Absolutely not. God is just as faithful to the one he leaves in prison and his grace is just as sustaining as it is to the one whom he frees. We might find ourselves in the midst of difficulty in life, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering. And maybe we've been there for years. Maybe life has been really, really, really crummy for us for most of what we can remember Do we take this passage and say, well, this is a lie. I haven't been freed. I'm still suffering, undeservedly. Church family, I would encourage you, when we read this, certainly we see that God is for his people and that he is with his people. But do not be mistaken. God's presence, his grace, his his sustaining power is not only displayed in freedom from suffering and in freedom from prison. It is displayed more often than not, in a sustaining in the midst of suffering, in a sustaining in the midst of prison. And if it comes down to it, in a sustaining in the face of death. The very same grace of God that at times frees people from, from prison is the very same grace that allows people to die and sustains them even in that. And this is good news for us. We must have this kind of a full biblical theology that extends even beyond this life. If our theology is sufficient for this life only, then it is a worthless theology. It is limited. It is temporary. It is here one moment and gone the next. A good and right biblical theology is one that extends beyond this life, beyond the grave, into life everlasting. Because that's what Christ offers That is the message of life that they were to go and proclaim in the temple and that they did faithfully. It is one of life, not just here on earth, but life everlasting. There's a great song written by Sovereign Grace Music, and it's a song I'm going to read for us here today. It's called, It Is Not Death to Die. And it speaks to this sustaining grace that is ours in Christ Jesus, even through death. The song says this, It is not death to die, to leave this weary road and join the saints who dwell on high, who've found their home with God. It is not death to close the eyes long dimmed by tears and awake in joy before your throne delivered from our fears. It is not death to fling aside this earthly dust and rise with strong and noble wing to live among the just. It is not death to hear the key unlock the door that sets us free from mortal years to praise you evermore. O Jesus, conquering the grave, your precious blood has power to save. Those who trust in you will find in your mercy that it is not death to die. This is a beautiful word of the all-sustaining power of God's grace. That even in death for believers, it is not death truly and rightly. That death has been conquered. And death, though it will take our physical bodies, is reversed in Christ Jesus. And that we look forward again, as we could say each and every week, Easter or not, that we look forward to that day when we will be united with Christ and have resurrected bodies just like Him. Let us find our hope and our comfort in that, not in in a temporary freedom from suffering, but in eternal life and hope and joy when we enter into His rest. The mission of God is going to be accomplished. God is sovereign over all things. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. He's unchanging and unchangeable. None of His plans will ever be thwarted. He is going to Bring his message of salvation and life to all the nations. The question for us as believers today is whether or not we'll be a part of it. For some of us, the question is whether or not we will be partakers in it at all. If you have never accepted this message of life that is available in Christ Jesus, then then for you, the very first step here is to trust in Christ by faith that his work on the cross and his resurrection mean for you life eternal. That is first and foremost. And then as believers to ask the question whether or not we will imitate the apostles and pursue the mission of God. I would encourage you to consider the situation of the apostles here. They are are freed from prison now, miraculously, by this angel. And for for many of us, we might think, I'm so glad to be freed from prison. Let me just go and and take some time off. It's been a rough couple days. Prison is not fun. Persecution is not fun. I'm just going to take a couple Couple of days off, recoup, rest, and then get back to it. But what does the angel tell him to do? He says, Go directly to the temple and preach the gospel. It would be easy and it would be difficult for the apostles to accept this. And certainly, if we were in their case, we might desire a break. But indeed, they don't, they obey. And they go and begin to do, again, the very same thing that they were thrown in prison for. Why? Because they had a theology that surpassed this life and this life only. They had an understanding of the mission of God that they they knew that whatever happens on this life, even if they are thrown back in prison, even if they are killed in prison, it is worth it for the sake of the mission. Now let me ask you, and this is where it comes down to for believers, How risky is it for you to speak words of life? How likely is it that you're going to be thrown in prison for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around you? It's not likely. It's not likely that you're going to face death or imprisonment for proclaiming the gospel. And yet so often we don't do it. The very words of life that the world around us so desperately needs and we hold it to ourselves simply for We've already discussed fear of man. What will they think? They might not put me in prison, but they might not like me. They might say things about me to my coworkers. A reputation of me might develop around the office that I don't find desirable. And in this, I ask you, who are we acting more like when we do that? Are we acting more like the apostles, those who are committed to the mission of God, no matter what? Or are we acting more like the Sadducees who were afraid even of the people? This is a difficult question and one I, I pray that we would ask the Lord to give us the grace to answer well, give us the grace to live up to. Because church family, I, my hope is not to give you this burden, this weight and leave you feeling defeated and broken and messed up because look, each and every one of us fails in this. Each and every one of us fails to proclaim the way we ought the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us fails in our service to the mission of God. So my call today is a, it is a group call for me, for you, for each and every one of us that we would repent of that. Confess that to the Lord and just like all the other sins that we confess up here on a Sunday morning, trust that he is faithful and he is just and he has forgiven us, he has cleansed us of those things. Even our sins of silence about the gospel find forgiveness in Christ Jesus that we will soon celebrate in the Lord's Supper. So my encouragement to you is to not let the lack of proclamation of the gospel lead you to feel broken, devastated, un- unchristian, but that it would drive you to worship Him and that it would drive you to confess your sin and that from there we would say, in Him is life. And we would say it boldly to the world around us. Let's pray.